We turn this morning to Malachi chapter 3. Malachi is the last Old Testament book. So if you're at Matthew, just turn the page back and you're at Malachi. Malachi chapter 3. And we're focused on one verse. As you know, we have concluded our working through 1st and 2nd Timothy. We'll do Titus, Lord willing, after the first of the year. And I'm taking individual texts for a while. Rarely do I take one verse to expound, but this morning I will be expounding one verse, and that will be verse 6 of Malachi 3. But we need the context, and so we'll begin at verse 1. Let's bow in prayer before reading. Oh, gracious God and Father, we pray that there will be for your tried people in this present evil age, and in the midst of much sorrow and difficulty in our nation and in the church, In this country today, we pray that there will be a pure stream of encouragement coming forth from your word, and we ask that we might understand that our anchor is in the immutable God. We pray that we would remember that life, like an ever-rolling stream, bears all its sons away. They fly forgotten as a dream, lies at the opening day, that life is brief, but you change not. And we pray that we will be encouraged, but also that those among us today who do not know Christ as Lord and Savior will see their need of this unchangeable God and this everlasting gospel, this good news of Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Malachi chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. This is the word of God. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old, as in former days. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who, trust, who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. For I am the Lord, I the Lord do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Or as the authorized version puts it, I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, are ye sons of Jacob, not consumed. It is probable that Malachi here reflects Isaiah 40 in the promise of the coming forerunner of the Messiah. Not only is the forerunner predicted, but so is Christ's first coming. The Lord will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in in whom you delight. Beginning with the sanctuary, he will refine and he will purify God's people. 
And in the midst of these shining promises, God also speaks of judgment coming on the nation for their sins. Look again at verse 5, then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. One of the old writers says, God may seem not to notice sin and to delay its punishment, but all the time his sleepless eye is noting the sinner and his thunder grows hotter the longer it sleeps. God's true people live in such times as these. It was true then, and it is true now. And as God looks with judgment on the society, what of God's true people? How are we to think? Though God's people might endure temporal judgments as the rest, what of our eternal welfare? Are God's people secure? What is the church's anchor in times that invite the judgment of God? such as was the case then and as is the case now? The answer is that God is as good as his word. I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore are you sons of Jacob not consumed. The word says to us in Numbers twenty-three nineteen, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent, Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? In 1 Samuel fifteen twenty nine, the strength of Israel will not lie nor repent, for he is not a man that he should repent. And so the very first thing I want us to do as we look at verse 6 of Malachi 3 is to see the doctrine that it contains. And so the very first point is this. The doctrine contained in this verse is, God is immutable. God is immutable. God is unchangeable. Mutability belongs to creation and to the creature. All of us know the swift changes of life. Many of us feel it in our bodies. We feel it as we age. We see it in our culture. In the 102nd Psalm, listen to the way in which God contrasts his immutability with the changing world that he has created and that is now also fallen. He says, Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment, but you will change them like a robe, and they will pass away, but you are the same, and your years have no end. Verses, by the way, applied in that passage in Hebrews to the Lord Jesus Christ, ascribing deity to him as the unchangeable God. James tells us, your life is but a vapor that appears for a little while and vanishes away. But this is not true of Jehovah. Jehovah, the triune God of the Bible, is immutable. With him there is no variableness of turning, James 1.17. One of the old authors again said, God cannot be changed in time because he is eternity. So he cannot be changed in place because he hath ubiquity. That means that he is everywhere present. What value there is then to think about these things? I wonder, do you do this? 
I want to encourage the people of God to dwell upon and to think upon the character of God. We are so consumed with the things of this life that fade and pass away. I would encourage us all to begin to learn how to muse upon, focus upon, meditate upon the eternal nature, the immutable character of God, those things that never change and will never wear out. God is immutable. So let's begin to think it through, shall we? God is immutable. He is immutable in what ways? Well, he is immutable in his nature. God is not composed of parts that change and corrode. Though he is the ancient of days, he never grows old. Psalm 102:27. but thou art the same and thy years have no end. Ah, but someone says, what about the incarnation? What about when the second person of the Trinity became man? Was there not a change in deity then? No, no, not at all. When Christ assumed human nature, his divine nature was not changed into human nature. He assumed human nature. Nor was his human nature changed into the divine nature, but the human and the divine were perfectly united without mixture or confusion. God's nature never changes. God's nature is immutable. But also, God is immutable in his attributes. If in his being he is immutable, then it only follows that in his attributes he also is immutable. For example, his power does not wane. His hand is not shortened that it cannot save. There is never a time in which God can say, I just don't have the power to do this. I'm too weak to save a sinner or to accomplish my pur- purpose or my decrees. Uh, young people, God is not some superman that weakens before kryptonite. He is God, the everlasting. He is not man. He is the eternal God. His power does not change. His knowledge is infinite. He knows all things, and he knows all things exhaustively. He knows your heart and mine exhaustively. His goodness does not change. His grace is mercy. We read in Psalm 103.17, The mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. His holiness can never tarnish. His truth endureth to all generations. Psalm 100, verse 5. And so you see, we come to the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And we teach our children what is God, and we answer God as a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. Let me tell you something. When I have had the hardest experiences in life, that is the catechism question upon which I have dwelt. God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being. Everything changes around me. He remains the same. His character does not alter. He remains the same. He is unchanging in his attributes. But also, our God is unchanging in his divine decrees. It is a high mystery that God has ordained whatsoever comes to pass, yet in such a way that he does not destroy the responsibility of the creature, but that's what the scriptures teach. And in Hebrews 6.17, we read of the immutability of his counsel. In Ephesians 1.11, being predestined according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. In Psalm 33.11, the counsel of the Lord standeth forever and the thoughts of his heart to all generation. In Isaiah 46 verse 10, God says, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my 
pleasure. God is unchangeable in his divine decree. But God also is unchangeable in his promises. People of God, think upon it. In Titus 1-2, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. And in 1 John 2-25, and this is the promise that he hath promised us, even eternal life. God is unchangeable in his promises. Once having promised you salvation in Christ, that promise remains firm and fixed. God also is unchangeable in his love for his people. Oh, consider it. His love is everlasting. He tells us in the first chapter of Ephesians, according as he has chosen us in him from before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him. In love, having predestined us to be adopted as his sons in Christ Jesus. In love, having predestined us. His love for his people is unchanging. Everlasting love is a love that cannot alter. Not with time, not with circumstances, not with pain, not with sorrow. Everlasting love remains firm and fixed. But then also God's covenant of grace is unchangeable, by which he condescends to show grace to his people. The way in which he condescends to have a relationship with us, the covenant of grace is unchangeable. In Psalm 89, 34, God says, My covenant will I not break, nor alter the thing that has gone out of my lips. Because the covenant of grace is rooted in God's eternal and unchangeable nature, nothing can reverse God's covenant to save his own. His covenant of grace is unalterable. Ah, but someone says, the Bible speaks of God repenting. Well, that would take a whole sermon in and of itself to deal with. But let me give you a great line from the great old divine John Gill. Gill says, God did not change his mind, but his operations and providences, and that according to his unchangeable will. And that is the truth. And so you see, God is unchanging in his nature. He is unchanging in his attributes. He is unchanging in his divine decrees. He is unchangeable in his promises, unchangeable in his love for his people, and his covenant of grace is unchangeable. Well, that's what it means that God is immutable. I am the Lord. I change not. Great consolation, wouldn't you say? But for whom? Well, the text answers that question for us here in verse 6. I am the Lord. I change not. Therefore, are you sons of Jacob or you children of Jacob are not consumed? For whom is God's immutability great consolation? The text says for the sons of Jacob. What does that mean? Well, in its Old Testament setting, it means true believers among God's ancient people. Not all were true Israelites who were of Israel. The remnant, those who knew his word and trusted him, they were the ones to whom the promise came that they would not be consumed in his judgment. And these are God's people in troubled times, as we saw in verse 5, as God promises to bring judgment and to be a swift witness against those who are disobedient to his word. And this is applicable to the church today, to God's tried people, but truly believing people. We also live in troubling times that invite the wrath of God. And God says to you, sons of Jacob, children of Jacob, that is to say to God's elect, 
those upon whom he has put his covenant love, those upon whom he has placed his eternal love, those whom he has drawn to himself, he says to you, you will not be consumed. You may take the promise of Malachi written to the people of God all of these centuries ago, and you may now apply them today, this morning, to yourselves and to your life. Well, that leads us to a third point. What consolation should we derive from this text? Well, again, the text is clear. Look at it here. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. God speaks of his wrath in verse 5. In verse 6, he speaks of that wrath that would come that would consume those who do not know him. But he promises the sons of Jacob, ah, yes, though they will be consumed, you will not be consumed. God's true people will not be consumed. God's wrath is real. God's wrath against sin is real. It shows now, it is being revealed in the present, and it will show in the future when the fullness of God's wrath is poured out in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and obey not the gospel. God's wrath is real, but God's people, his true people, will not be consumed. Why? Because Christ died. Because Christ went to a cross and was consumed, and the wrath of God poured over him and consumed him. Therefore, that wrath has been spent for the people of God, and you will not be consumed on the day of God's visitation of judgment God's people will not be consumed because Christ died and God keeps his promise. Behind it all is God's immutable character, God's unchangeable promise. And I fear sometimes that we take this for granted, that we know that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, and yet we take for granted what this really means. That in order for God to declare you not guilty and positively righteous in his sight, it required that the pure and spotless Son of God would hang upon the tree in the place of you and me and bear the wrath of God and be utterly consumed by it in order that the wrath of God might pass us by. Let us never forget it. Let us be eternally grateful. Let us be moved within our souls because of it. We are not consumed because Christ was consumed and God promises that we will not be consumed. His nature, his promise is unchangeable. Well, you say, Pastor, indeed, these are truths and encouraging enough to hear. Uh, But, you know, I have a special case, and I hear some folks out there perhaps thinking in various ways, and I, uh, I, I think I hear your voices. So let's apply these truths to your life and to your calling and to your living and to your behavior and to what it means that you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ needing to hear this truth of God's immutability. Pastor, you say, I'm overwhelmed as I see things change. Everywhere around me, things seem to be changing. It's so very hard. Health, sickness, cheerfulness, sadness, a lifetime, a short time, good leaders, bad leaders, purpose, vanity, 
Change, change, change everywhere. All flesh is grass, and my circumstances are so hard, I feel like crying with a chicken, the sky is falling. Nothing seems fixed. Everything seems to alter. Ah, but the essence of God is your anchor, child of God. We change, but God does not. Our circumstances change, but God does not. Take heart. Your God is everlastingly the same. You're overwhelmed when you see things change. God has told you that things will change in this world, but he has also told you, I've set my love upon you, and my love for you will not change. And then there's another who says, the world is filled with injustice and depravity. My heart feels overwhelmed with this, so much that challenges what I believe and what I, what I want to live But the world is filled with so much injustice. Oh, but believer, God does not change. Is there injustice in the world? He remains immutably just. Is there there, uh, depravity in the world? He remains unstained forever. Are we weak? He is all-powerful. My knowledge is slim, but he knows all things exhaustively. I don't understand, but he does understand. I don't get God's plan, but God gets God's plan. And so much that is not good in the world, but he remains good. There is so much that is unholy, but he remains holy. Truth has fallen in the street, but he is truth, unchanged, unchanging. Men like insects at his feet cannot alter the fixed plan and purpose of Almighty God. But then there's someone else that comes with an objection. Pastor, I believe in Christ, but will I make it to the end? Will I really make it all the way to heaven, all the way to glory? I believe in Christ, but will I make it? Has he not promised that none can take you out of the Father's hand? Is not this the promise of an immutable God? Men and devils have plans, but God's plan is over them. Your salvation is anchored in God's immutable decree. No one can alter God's decree. We've already seen that his decrees are immutable. The old Puritan Stephen Carnock put it this way, if God changed his purpose, he would change his nature. God's purpose cannot change because his nature cannot change, people of God. Yes, child of God, you will make it to the end. But then someone follows upon that and says, yeah, but you see, God has promised, but I'm so incredibly weak, so, so very weak. Have you not been listening? Listen again. Titus 1-2, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. Your weakness is no obstacle to God. And God's promise is confirmed by oath and sealed in Jesus' own shed blood. Keep your finger here and turn with me to Hebrews, the sixth chapter. And look at how God speaks of this at the end of the sixth chapter of the book of Hebrews. He has spoken of those who have been fair weather Christians, not real Christians that fall away, but then he speaks of the true Christian. And he says in chapter 6, verse 17, Hebrews 6, 17. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, 
He guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Yes, you are weak, but what does the text say? God has given to the heirs of the promise based upon God's unchangeable character and his purpose, this oath by which he has sworn that you will make it to the end. And so your salvation depends upon the accomplishment of Christ and upon God's own immutable oath. You will make it weak, Christian, because God says so. It is not consistent with God's character. Listen, it would not be consistent with God's character to effectually call a sinner to himself, to grant him saving faith, to justify him, to begin the process of sanctification, and then to take it all away. Would it? Did you even hear it? Let me say it again. It would not be consistent with God's character to effectually call a sinner to himself, to grant him saving faith, to justify him, to begin the process of sanctification, and then to take it away. That would not be consistent with what God reveals about his character. No, a thousand times no. The sinner for whom Christ died, eternally decreed, God's love upon, called by the Spirit in time, will be kept by God's immutable promise and power to eternity. All of this is the fruit of election founded on God's own unchangeable will. And I know our culture has a low view of God. I know the church today has a low view of God. But folks, this is what the Bible says. God's own immutable will is behind his people's salvation. The foundation of God stands sure. The Lord knows those who are his. I'm so weak, pastor. Yes, you're weak, but God is strong. Don't you see? I'm so changeable. Yes, but God is immutable. But then there's another objection from someone's heart because we sinners come up with objections, don't we? But I'm so unlovable. I'm just so unlovable. How can God love me? How can he keep on loving me? When I'm so unlovable, why, just yesterday I sinned against him. Just this morning I failed him. I am so unlovable, how can God love me? And the answer is, he loves you in his son. He loves you in Jesus. He loves you with the same love with which he has loved his own son from eternity. And will the love that he has for his son fail? Is the love for his son somehow alterable and changeable? No, it is not. Yes, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee, God says in Jeremiah 31.3. God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ 
died for us. God's love for you will not alter. Ah, but then there's someone else that says, yes, all of that is true, Pastor. But you see, I've broken God's covenant so many times. I've broken covenant with God. I've promised and I've broken. I've broken covenant with God time and time again. How can I stand? Well, sad that. Mourn over that. Grieve over that. But rejoice in the gospel. God has not broken his covenant of grace with you. You have broken covenant with him. He has not broken the covenant of grace with you, and he will not. The covenant is made with his people in Christ. For the mountains shall depart, and the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from thee, neither shall the covenant of my peace be removed, saith the Lord that hath mercy on thee. Isaiah 54 verse 10. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Yes, strive to be more faithful. Yes, grow in grace. But your salvation has never depended upon your faithfulness. It depends upon the faithfulness of the covenant God in the covenant of grace. The work which his goodness began, the arm of his strength will complete. His promise is yea and amen, and never was forfeited yet. Things future, nor things that are now, nor all things below or above, can make him his purpose forego, or sever my soul from his love. My name from the palms of his hands, eternity will not erase. Impressed on his heart, it remains in marks of indelible grace. Yes, I to the end shall endure, as sure as the earnest is given, more happy but not more secure, the glorified spirits in heaven. But then there's another who says, Pastor, I'm not doubting that I will make it. But I'm concerned for the church in the world. My heart is overwhelmed when I hear of Pastor Saeed, who is languishing in that prison in Iran. Uh, When I hear of, of Christians in Syria who are being murdered by revolutionaries, I am overwhelmed when I consider the state of the church today and how much apostasy is found within the professing church today. I'm so concerned for the church and oh, how we should pray. But listen to the words of a great old author, T.V. Moore. He said, Let not the Christian Christian heart grow timid in a time of prevalent wickedness and unbelief, in the fear that the ark of God may perish. The sons of Jacob shall not be consumed. The seed of Christ shall not perish. The unchangeableness of God is the sheet anchor of the church. He will be faithful to his son and to his word, however disheartening external circumstances may appear to our wavering faith. And so as we see these things in the world, get up on your knees, Christian. Let's believe God, Christian. Let's trust the one who said, in this world you will know tribulation, but who also promised his people, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against her. 
And if you will not take this consolation from the immutability of God this morning, then you just will not be consoled. (laughs) This is our great encouragement, God's eternal nature and character. Someone says, but pastor, this is just old-fashioned Calvinism. (laughs) Yes, and we see how powerful and practical it is. These are the great and grand truths preached and believed by God's people in times of trouble that have put steel in the backbones of God's servants through the centuries. I want to make a couple of observations. And we'll bring it all to a close. Two things. First, God's immutability brings grand comfort to the believer, as I hope you have seen. But it brings no comfort to those who do not yet trust in Christ. And if you are here this morning and you've not truly trusted Christ alone as Lord and Savior, you can take no comfort while you choose to remain in your sin. Because every promise of God will be fulfilled, and that includes his threatenings. Why do you set your heart on things that change? Why are you so focused on things that don't matter? Why do you focus on things that you can't take with you? Why are you so focused on things that are here today and gone tomorrow? Don't you know you're going to die? Don't you know that you will face a holy God in eternity? Don't you know? Of course you do. It's written in your heart. Eternity is written in your heart. Judgment is coming, and God promises that he will bring about his threatenings on those that do not find refuge in the everlasting Christ. How foolish to set your heart on things that perish and cannot support you in death, because even though you may think they support you in life, they don't. They don't support you in life, and they don't support you in death. The next breath you take is because God is pleased to give it to you. He supports you. These things do not. These are his gifts. You need to look to the giver. You need to look to Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, who will not change. And though your circumstances change, he remains the same. When you put your faith in him... You're trusting in one who shed his blood for sinners, behind which is God's everlasting promise to keep his people. Second thing, people of God, can you not see how, how important it is? Can I, can I somehow, will the Spirit of God bless to get this through? Can you not see how important it is that we focus upon the everlasting character, the eternal nature of God, that we fix our attention on his immutable character. Can you not see how the doctrine of God, thinking about his triune nature, about his divine being, about his attributes, can you not see how this doctrine humbles us into the dust where we belong? Can you not see how it lifts us up In Christ Jesus, with whom we have union, can you not see how it enlarges your vision so that you begin to trust God for things 
perhaps for, for which you've never trusted him before, that you can trust him for, for doing his purpose and plan in the world, even though you can't understand it and you can't see what's happening, even though it's darkness to you, it's light to him. Can you not see how it consoles the heart? I'm sure he will not mind if I, if I mention it. Uh, well, a couple of men just this week, actually, Uh, But, of course, we're thinking of our brother, that gentle saint, uh, Pat Foster, uh, who is uh, going through the the throes of cancer. And I was only with him just for a brief few minutes in the medical intensive care unit. But we went to the 102nd Psalm. We read these words, Of old you laid the foundation of the earth. And the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years have no end. The children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. Now tell me, what would encourage this dear saint more than hearing as his body changes, his circumstances change, as he nears eternity, my God remains the same. was privileged to sit with Charles Wilkins this this week. Charles' brother was visiting with him, and while here, he died. We went to these sorts of verses together in God's word. And I want to tell you what great delight as a pastor it gives me to open the word of God in the midst of life that seems to be crumbling and falling apart and things that are just beyond our comprehension, so hard to bear, and to say, yes, yes, We don't minimize the pain. We do not minimize the suffering. But God remains the same. And through it all, he leads us to be worshipers of this great and incredible God whose nature remains the same. Now, people of God, rejoice. Rejoice. For we read in Deuteronomy 33, 27, The eternal God is thy refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. And owing to the unchangeable nature, love, grace, and wondrous work of Christ, not one of his sheep will perish, but each one will have everlasting life. God will not change his promises, and Christ's blood will never lose its power till all the ransomed church of God be saved to sin no more. And God's people said, Amen. Amen.